Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like... You know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Last Wednesday, in the early hours of the morning, in the leafy suburbs above Port-au-Prince, a hail of gunfire shattered the silence. A group of gunmen was storming the home of Haiti's president. Over a loudspeaker, they announced, this is a DEA operation. Posing as American drug enforcement officials, they forced their way into the house and started shooting. (laughs) President Moisey was killed, his body riddled with 12 bullets. The country was plunged into turmoil. A state of emergency has been declared. We bring you some breaking news now. And Haiti's President Jovenel Moïse has been assassinated at his home in Port-au-Prince. FBI and DHS officials will be making their way to Haiti as soon as possible. This after a total of 17 men, including two U.S. nationals, were arrested in connection with the murder. A number of Colombian mercenaries have been arrested. And now, a Haitian-American doctor stands accused of being behind the plot. But in Haiti... Things are rarely as they seem. Many questions remain about who killed the president and why. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Haiti, the assassination of a president. My name's Martin Fletcher. I was foreign editor at the Times and a sort of roving correspondent for most of my career. And I visited Haiti many times. The first time was in 1990, straight after 
Jean-Bertrand Aristide was removed as president in a military coup. The history of Haiti is a catalogue of coups, assassinations and crises, and Martin has seen a fair few of them. But it's a country he's still drawn to. It is colourful. You know, there's cockfighting, there are voodoo ceremonies, there's wonderful, wonderful street art. I often say they're lovely, lovely people, and they're kept going by their religious faith. But among hopeless countries, Haiti is one of the most hopeless I've ever been to. Martin still has friends in Haiti, which is how he heard about events last Wednesday. I got a text on my phone from a friend there, my old fixer, and he said, our president's been assassinated. And when you heard from your fixer, what did you think? Was it sort of, here we go again? Yes. Yes, yeah, not the first time a president's been assassinated. Yeah, very few presidents survive their full term in Haiti. They're ousted, driven out, exiled, or in odd cases, assassinated. You know, they aren't people with longevity. And you're still talking to friends out there, your old fixer. What are you hearing about what actually happened? What do we know? Well, shortly after midnight, a hit squad of 20-odd, maybe more, give or take, entered the president's private residence in Petionville, above Port-au-Prince, and shot him dead. Apparently he was shot about 12 times, including a shot into, into his eye. And his wife was injured and she was flown to Florida for treatment. Beyond that, what we know for sure is very, very limited. So the police say that this hit squad was made up of Colombians, about 20 of whom have been arrested, and one or two US citizens. But as with everything in Haiti, I think that needs to be taken with a certain pinch of salt. We have no explanation for why the president's quite extensive security detail apparently didn't defend him. There's no explanation of why this hit squad hadn't planned a getaway. I mean, they seem to be sitting there waiting to be arrested almost. No one has claimed responsibility, which seems peculiar. If it was a coup, then someone would have stepped up to claimed the presidency, but that hasn't happened. So here we are, five days after the event. Little the wiser, the Colombians have been arrested. And yesterday, a Florida doctor of Haitian descent was arrested, Christian Emmanuel Senon. And he is said to have arrived in Haiti last month, June, with political objectives but we don't know who he was representing, whether he wanted to be leader himself. We know practically nothing about him. And we don't even know if it is true that he arrived with political objectives, whatever they may be. As with everything in Haiti, nothing is ever quite what it appears to be. Do we know anything about this doctor? Have, has he popped up before? Do we know anything about who he is, where he's lived? Not a lot. I believe he was born in Haiti, but he's lived in Florida for many years. He did put up some social media posts nearly a decade ago, around 2011, talking about leadership for Haiti in rather oblique terms. Where is the leadership of Haiti? Nowhere to be found. You know why? Because they're corrupt. They're involved in the same uh, movement that the whole world is trying to do. I want things from you. I know you are not a good leader. 
And I like the type of leader that you have there because they don't care about the country. They don't care about the people. I will support you. I will stand for you. But I need uranium. I will support you. I will stand for you. I want your oil. I will support you. I will stand for you. I want your gold. And this is how they get rid of Haiti. They rip the country. The idea that a expat like him could come in, kill the president, and have anything like the popular acclaim that he would need to become president himself is far-fetched to say the least. It is possible that he was operating on behalf of someone else who really masterminded the operation, who has yet to show his face, but this is all guesswork. Who was behind the plot? After a fierce gun battle in the capital, Port-au-Prince, the authorities rounded up a number of foreign mercenaries. Haitian police say most of the suspects are from Colombia, including retired soldiers. Haitian officials have described the alleged assassins as well-trained, professional commandos and mercenaries who spoke Spanish and English. Police arrested 17 suspected assassins, including two Americans, who were accused in the killing of Haiti's president in his home. The Americans claimed they were only translators for the hit squad and were not in the room when the president was assassinated. Who was responsible? Moisey had lots of enemies. He was in the middle of this great constitutional battle with his opponents about when and whether he should step down. So his opponent said he should step down five years after his predecessor stepped down, but you know, presidential term being five years. But back in 2016, his taking up of the presidency was delayed for a year because there was such bitter um, disputes over whether he had won fairly. So he said he should step down in February next year, which would give him five, four years in office. He'd also been accused of growing increasingly draconian in the face of mounting protests. Yeah, he was in the process of trying to ram through a constitution which would greatly have increased the powers of the presidency and decreased the powers of the legislature. So he had plenty of political enemies. If you believe him, he was taking on some of the vested interests, some of the wealthy businessmen who pull the strings behind the scenes in Haiti, the oligarchs, if you will, so they would have had a motive for removing him. It could conceivably have been some sort of military coup in disguise. It could have been some drug cartel. You know, they increasingly have used Haiti as a transportation point. Oh, really? Something else to say about Haiti is there are very few independent international observers there. Very few countries have embassies there, or if they do, they you know they're skeletal. Big. Media organisations don't keep correspondence in Haiti. You know, they rely on local stringers. So there aren't even that many NGOs there now. You know, certainly not when you compare them to the number there were after the earthquake. So you're in the hands of people who have vested interests in putting out one story or another story. You know, everyone's at the game. It's very, very hard to know who to believe. And what can you tell us about the president who is now dead? I mean, we know he was trying to extend his time in office, but what has his time been like? What has his presidency been like? Well, he won the first round of the presidential election in 2015, but his opponents all cried foul. There were months of protracted 
fairly violent protests and that election was annulled. He was then elected again in November 2016 with just over 50% of the vote, which meant there wasn't a second round. And he was his predecessor's hand-picked successor. So Martelli's hand-picked successor. Whether that was a honest and fair election or not, I have no idea. But the turnout in that second election was 21%, which was paltry. In other words, in a country of 11 million, he was elected by fewer than 600,000 people. Wow. So, yeah, at the best of times, Haiti is pretty ungovernable. But his mandate was slim, to put it mildly. And from the outset, he faced stern opposition, protests, demonstrations. And his response was seemingly to become increasingly draconian. So, as I say, he he was in the process of pushing through this constitution, which gave him much more power. By the end, he was ruling by decree. There was no parliament still sitting. The House of Deputies had been dissolved. There were two interim prime ministers. So he had nominated one and the opposition had nominated another. And the second one was due to take over any day now from the president's. The head of the Supreme Court, which is the other big institution, had just had died of COVID in June. There were practically no elected officials left, and he was ruling by decree. Before the assassination last week, Haiti had already been rocked by protests and instability. And the background to this was near anarchy on the streets. So, you know, roving armed and violent gangs, some of which were allegedly linked to Moisey. I don't know if they were or not. People were being kidnapped. If they had any money, they were being robbed. It had become almost too dangerous to drive from Port-au-Prince to other cities because you would be held up on the roads. There were severe shortages of all the basics. There was rampant inflation. You know, Unemployment is always sky high in, in Haiti. It was probably as high as it ever has been. The country was, I mean, if I say the country was collapsing, you know, it had already collapsed. It was already a failed state, but it was as bad by all accounts as it has ever been. And that's, you know, when you talk about Haiti, that's saying something. We'll have more in just a moment. But first. Hi, I'm Emily Dugan, social affairs correspondent at The Sunday Times. It's you listeners and subscribers, who enable me to investigate. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. If you subscribe today, you can enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Do you remember what it's like being in your 20s? I sometimes look back at that period of my life and laugh just as much as I cringe. If you do the same, then you've got to watch Queenie, the new original series on Hulu. Who is Queenie? Queenie is a 20-something year old living in London. She's facing all the firsts. First major heartbreak, first shitty apartment and soul-sucking job, first therapy session to work through those mommy issues. Can she turn her quarter-life crisis into a revolution? Maybe. Will she make some questionable decisions along the way? Definitely. All episodes of Queenie premiere June 7th, streaming on Hulu. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. 
You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. To understand Haiti's current crisis, you really need to understand the country's history. Let's go back to 1804. So in 1804, Haiti was the jewel in the crown of the French Empire. It was an immensely lush and fertile country Mm. that supplied half of Europe's coffee and sugar. The slaves, the black slaves, rose up and they managed to defeat Napoleon's army, one of the most powerful armies in the world at that time. It was an incredible feat and they set up the world's first black republic. It was a glorious beginning. But two things happened. Thomas Jefferson, who was US president at the time, was terrified that slaves in the southern United States would seek to emulate what had happened in Haiti. So he refused to recognize the new republic. And France, the ousted colonial master, demanded, I mean, almost literally at the point of a gun, reparations for the loss of their colony. And incredibly, those reparations were still being paid in the 1940s, you know, 140 years later. Wow. So in effect, Haiti was economically hobbled from the very outset, with the consequence that successive presidents, despots, dictators, saw little point in trying to govern for the welfare of the people. They they you know, simply used their time in office to extract, to exploit, to plunder as much as they could for their own self-enrichments. And you have had for over 200 years now a succession of rotten presidents, mostly from a tiny elite, almost all of them corrupt, any number of them displaced by coups. And of course, the most notorious of all, were Papa Doc and Baby Doc. Tell us a bit about Papa Doc and Baby Doc Duvalier. Papa Doc and Baby Doc Duvalier were father and son, and they were both dictators who ruled successively from 1957 to 1986 and both presided over reigns of terror. I don't think there's any other word for it. They had these thugs called the Tonton Makut, who would, you know, death squads, basically, who would kill any opponent or suspected opponent, often leaving their bodies lying in the the streets to deter others. And they would exploit the uh, belief of many Haitians in voodoo. You know, they would 
use that to inspire fear and to you know to keep the people downtrodden and oppressed and at the same time they plundered the country for you know everything it had they were interested only in their self-enrichment self-aggrandizement ran Haiti into the ground until baby doc was eventually forced into exile gathered by the thousands for funeral services for Papa Doc, President Francois Duvalier, strongman leader of Haiti for 14 years. The calm of the crowd belies Haiti's history of terror. This area, jammed with people, has at times been the center of that terror. When the country was finally free of the Duvaliers, did things get any better? I mean, who was the next big leader? Jean Bertrand Aristide. He was really the people's champion. He was a Catholic priest, a fiery Catholic priest, and far from a saint. He, he espoused violence as a means of protecting himself. Aristide was removed as president in a military coup. And I remember vividly driving through these deserted streets. I mean, everyone was terrified. They were just staying in their houses, not daring come out. And that was a pretty violent few days. Did its relationship with America improve after that early Jeffersonian sort of snub? (laughs) It's been uh, intermittent at best. So in 1915, a president was assassinated and the Americans moved in. And for a while, Haiti essentially became an American colony. Under Duvalier, it became briefly a sort of a bit of a playground for rich Americans the Clintons had their honeymoon in Haiti. There was a wonderful sort of gingerbread hotel in the middle of Port-au-Prince called the Hotel Olufsen. And it appears in, in the comedians in Graham Greene's novel. And even now all the all the bedrooms are named after the sort of illustrious Hollywood stars who used to go and stay there. After the earthquake in 2010, it wasn't just the Americans, the whole world pledged to come to Haiti's aid and to rebuild better, build back better. That was the the phrase that everyone was using. President Obama said, you know, in this hour of need, we stand by you. This is a time when we are reminded of the common humanity that we all share. With just a few hundred miles of ocean between us and a long history that binds us together, Haitians are our neighbors in the Americas and here at home. So we have to be there for them in their hour of need. The international community pledged something in the order of $16 billion to rebuild Haiti, precious little of which ever arrived in that country. Either the pledges were broken or the money was double counted or smoke and mirrors. It would be spent at home. From memory, I think the US, they spent a million dollars a week, a month, I can't remember, on keeping an aircraft carrier off Haiti, and they counted that towards it. Or they spent £50,000 on elevator maintenance. I mean, there are no elevators in Haiti, so who knows where that went. But one way or the other, very little of that money ever found its way to the people who really needed it. I mean, you've written about, you know, sort of a a potted history of of the country from your own experience, and it's titled Ravaged by Successive Despots. Haiti is truly without hope. What led you to write that? I can't see any hope. Every successive president is 
corrupt. The mismanagement, the misrule is endemic. America, its attention is sporadic at best. The, the situation is so grim, the poverty is so extreme, that it's caught in a vicious cycle. There's no president. It's a country that's virtually ungovernable, short of it becoming the 51st state of the United States. Is that because of economic pressures or is it because of the culture? Why does it feel ungovernable? I think there's a multitude of reasons. It's got sort of rival power bases in the legislature and the presidency. It's got a brain drain. You know, anyone who can leaves, goes to the United States. It's corruption. You know, corruption is a, a sort of one-way valve. You know, if everyone's corrupt, there's no point in being honest. You know, you might as well join in and take your share. Money speaks in in Haiti. You know. I was going to say, well, surely the people must have risen up, having seen the wealth and 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 luxury that they lived in. In my experience, and. This is, doesn't apply just to Haiti. It applies to Zimbabwe and any other, you know, any number of other countries. A downtrodden, hungry people. You know, if they can get out, they get out. If they can't, they're so busy trying to get the next meal on the table. They haven't got time or the strength or the courage to rise up. And the Duvaliers would have had informers everywhere. They didn't brook any dissent. And as I say, the Tonton Makut, you know, the legendary, infamous Tonton Makut, were absolutely ruthless. They were, this is their secret police, effectively. They set out to instill terror. What sort of characters were they? From memory, Papatop was, an, I think he was a country doctor. It's such an unlikely name for a despot. <laughs> <laughs> Jean-Claude Duvalier was, the, was his full name, who sort of made good and couldn't believe his fortune and consolidated it. And then his son was sort of fat, spoiled child who took over and carried on in the same vein and ended up exiled in France until his last days when he was allowed back into Haiti. I mean, that is a, a remarkable history. The one other colourful president was Jean Valmoise's predecessor, Michel Martelly. He was a singer. He was a singer of compass music. Yeah, he was a big star. He would yeah, he would draw huge crowds in Port-au-Prince and he liked to moon his audience, you know, he'd pull his trousers down and moon them. Next thing you know, he's president. What always strikes me about going to Haiti is that the social divisions are echoed in the geographical division. So Port-au-Prince is grimmer city as you could not want to go to. And then you drive up into the hills behind and you come to Petionville, which is where Moisey lived and was killed which is this rather lovely French-style enclave in the cool of the hills with wonderful French restaurants. You know, I've eaten some of the best food I've ever eaten in Haiti. And they sort of look down on this smoky, polluted, vast expanse of filthy slums and clogged up canals. And beyond, you can just about make out the bay. Yeah, it's a sort of you're looking down on a scene from hell from their very very lovely leafy oasis high up in the mountains. I mean, that already sounds beautiful, bleak, and like a rather unsustainable model for a democracy. I mean, it sort of starts to make sense of some of the turmoil. Well, I think democracy, <laughs> democracy is pushing it a bit. Eh? Ostensible democracy. Every time I go, I simultaneously fascinated and appalled.
Ever since it gained its independence, Haiti has been thwarted economically by reparations and corruption, and politically by a succession of despots, military coups and assassinations. It's a long and lurid history, but one of the worst chapters wasn't even political. It was the result of a natural disaster. It's being called a catastrophe of major proportions. The Caribbean island nation of Haiti has been rocked by its biggest earthquake in more than 200 years. Shoddy construction in this impoverished nation meant buildings toppled to the ground. A hospital was flattened. Even the presidential palace couldn't withstand the force. In just one short minute, the capital Port-au-Prince was torn apart. Survivors lay in the streets, crying out with pain. I went back, of course, for the earthquake in 2010 several times. It was horrendous. It was one of the deadliest natural disasters the world has seen. I mean, two or three hundred thousand people died. Port-au-Prince was, every other building was destroyed. And you, know, you sort of walked around the streets and you could smell the decomposing bodies. And I remember we, you know, there were, on that occasion, there were loads of journalists and we all crammed into the few hotels that were just about standing. And I remember sort of sleeping and feeling the aftershocks and wondering if the building was going to survive or not or collapse on top of us. Every other building had been pancaked, levelled, collapsed. I mean, nothing really prepares you for seeing a city that is been laid waste. I like to think I've seen everything, but that was truly horrific. We've had another assassination of a president, President Moisey. From your conversations with your friends who are still there, I mean, what are you hearing? How, how, how have the public reacted? What do they make of his death? I think everyone is braced for yet more political and probably physical turmoil. As I've written, these are people with nothing, so they have nothing more to lose. It's hard to see how their lives could be grimmer than they already are. You know, a president will be killed, another one will take over, he'll be no better. There's no one waiting in the wings in whom they're vesting enormous trust and hope They've learned through two centuries of bitter experience not to trust their political class, and they're right. What does happen next? Do we know who's likely to take over, and will it make a difference? You now have two interim prime ministers. So you have Claude Joseph, who is the interim president right as we speak, and you have Ariel Henry, who is the interim prime minister that Moisey had appointed to take over. I think the handover was due to be on Monday, but yeah, I wouldn't be at all surprised if they both jostled to take over. There are supposed to be elections later this year, but you know, elections come and go or were never held in Haiti. You know, let's see if they happen or not. And Martin, you've talked a lot about the hopelessness of the situation on the ground in Haiti. And at the same time, you know, you're clearly very fond of it and you're very fond of the people. What is the best hope? You know, what is the best chance for them to have a better life in the future? You're right. I mean, it breaks my heart. I I feel guilty you know, sitting here when people live like that in Haiti. The only thing that can change it is if two things. I, you know, one, 
really robust and sustained international intervention. They have had UN peacekeepers there from 2004 to 2017, but thanks to the cholera epidemic and other factors, they, they weren't greatly appreciated. The interim prime minister there has declared a state of siege and imposed martial law following the assassination of Haiti's president. It's hard to see any hope for them. If there is hope, I guess it comes from one of two sources. One is the diaspora, which is largely concentrated in Canada and in New York and is relatively wealthy, certainly relatively wealthy by the standards of those who've remained in Haiti. Whether they are a force for good or a force for ill is unclear. But, you know, they would potentially have the power to back and install a man or woman who genuinely has the welfare of Haiti in their hearts. That's not to say they would do so. They could equally well back you know, an oligarch who is going to continue the exploitation of the Haitian people, extracting last, every last ounce of wealth from the country and leaving it benighted. And the other hope is from the people themselves in their desperation to rise up and demand better governance. Again, it's a long shot. You know, if it hasn't happened yet, why would it happen now? You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Martin Fletcher, formerly the foreign editor at The Times. The producer and executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Falcon Kisseltuk. If you'd like to get in touch with any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.